Hello and welcome to Windstop Sales Podcast. My name is Will Chibbers and I'm joined by my co-host Vaseem Khan and we're here to interview some of the world's most influential sales leaders, revenue officers and executives on the planet. William, episode six, We Disrupt Sales Podcast. Who do we have on the show today and what are we going to talk about? So today we have Adam Kay. He's the VP of sales of one of the fastest growing SaaS startups, Paddle. Adam has helped scale the likes of Conversocial, Shoutlet, and Meltwater. Adam has spent the past 15 years refining his approach to building the right sales culture and is going to be sharing his views on how to approach a culture shift when joining a new organization. Why the A-star CV shouldn't always be your biggest priority in talent selection and the reasons why working towards a common goal has got to be the number one ingredient to building a rocket ship business. Brilliant. Let's get into the show. Adam, welcome to the We Disrupt Sales podcast. It'd be great if you could kick off with a little bit about yourself and what got you into sales. Yeah, sure. Um, hi, everyone. My name's Adam Kay. I'm, I'm VP Sales at a company called Paddle, which is a London-based startup or scale-up, um, however you want to define it. Um, one of the fastest growing software companies in the UK. Um, how did I get into sales? Well, I've been in sales for about 12 years now. Um, and actually, if I'm being honest, it was a complete accident and fluke how I landed in sales. Um, I actually started my life as a, a lawyer, qualified as a, as a solicitor at one of the, the big city London firms, hated every minute of it, knew I didn't want to do that, but still didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, recognized that regardless of where it is I wanted to go and what I wanted to do in the future, sales was a skill that I was going to need. Um, whether I stay in law, do something else in services, work with products, etc., consultancy. Um, and so I found actually um, a, a startup that was recruiting grads um, into a management training scheme, a company called Meltwater, which is one of the first SaaS companies um, and is now the global, very, very large business, probably around about $200 million a year. Um, but they hired grads, taught them the ropes about sales. Um, it was an inside sales role. So, you know, high activity levels, low value. Um, it was a media monitoring, online media monitoring solution. Um, but I, I just fell in love with it from day one. I fell in love with the, the fact that it was a meritocracy, that um, really you had a chance to, to, to get exposed to all these different business leaders and conversations so early in your career, where from my experience in law, you had to kind of wait eight, nine years to be at that senior level to, to even kind of have those interesting level conversations. So, didn't look back from there. So Adam, you were in the SaaS world since the beginning, right? We all agree that such a key component of a successful SaaS organization is the sales culture that they build. So as a starting point, I'd love to unpack from, from all the different experiences you've had at different SaaS companies, how do you define the right sales culture? Based on the, the different experiences I've had, the different organizations I've been in or, or, or teams that I've led, I think the first part is to really think about the, the target customer, how you're selling. Is this kind of a, a real enterprise sell where, you know, most of the time the salespeople are out in the field, they're traveling, they're, they're, they're with, with clients? Or is this kind of a, a, an inside sell where it's very much phone-driven, activity-led, everyone in the same room? And of course, those two types of organizations, sales organizations, breed a different culture. Um, I think the com common denominators between the two, of course, are things like making sure that everyone is goals-driven. You know, I don't really care about the inputs. I care much more about the outputs, right? And, I, you know, reading articles around KPIs, are they good? Are they bad? And, you know, there's an argument either way. Um, but I think, you know, if your focus is on, hey, your target is a million dollars a quarter. And if somebody's getting to that target quarter after quarter, I'm not really 
that bothered about what they're doing to get there. Of course I am because I want to improve it and I want to share that best knowledge. But actually, that's not really where I'm going to focus my time with them. If they're doing something well, it doesn't really matter to me how they get there. As in, there isn't a one best way when it comes from a culture perspective. Um, I do think, however, that collaboration is absolutely key. And we hear about all these sales organizations where where reps have got kind of nicknames as sharks or, or sharp elbows or, or these types of things where, you know, they're, they're waiting for a, a, an account to pass a certain number of days of inactivity so they can snatch out of another person's territory. There's no room for that in my sales organization. I don't tolerate it at all. I don't think it, it yields the right culture. I don't think it yields the right types of results. So I always celebrate collaboration. I don't find much celebration where somebody goes and closes, even if it's the biggest deal we've ever done. They've gone off and done it on their own without asking for any help, without any insight, you know, nice, always great to close deals, but I'll always celebrate the acts of collaboration a lot more, especially when it's kind of cross-departmental collaboration. So if you're working with product, engineering, executive, client success, whatever it might be. Um, I do think sales always has to be rewarded. Um, and, you know, rewarding is a broad term. I think people often associate salespeople with kind of money-hungry, um, you know, despots, as it were. Um, and, you know, being driven by financial reward, there's no shame in that. Um, I, I think a salesperson who says they're not driven by financial reward always makes me a little bit kind of uneasy. Um, but uh, I think reward also can be in terms of progression, in terms of development as well. And most importantly, reward has got to be aligned with business goals, right? So if you're paying out um, to AE's commission 2x what the business is seeing in value, then you're going to have some sort of friction that's developing there. Um, and it's not really a great long-term strategy there. So the, the the sales reps, the AEs really need to know that, you know, their reward comes when the business sees reward. Um, and that's really helping aligning behind uh, the final culture, which is kind of that that mission uh, and that what we're working towards. Uh, everyone's got to be on that same mission and driving towards the same goal. You know, I, I again, a, a topic that's come up a lot in recent years is around diversity and equal opportunity in sales organizations. And, you know, it's a challenge that many organizations struggle with. Um, and it's certainly something we've been deliberate about in terms of how we've grown our business. And it keeps coming back to the same point um, around, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is, your your age, your gender, your ethnicity. What I care about is that you buy into the mission and the vision that we have. Um, if you don't, there's no room for you in the team, right? Because that really leads to disruption. It leads to breakdowns in terms of what we're trying to do. But if you buy into that vision, if you really believe, yes, I'm solidly behind this and I'm excited by this and it's, this is going to galvanize me to get out of bed and really go 110% every single day, then it doesn't matter who you are. And, and that's really what I'm looking for is people who buy into that vision as well. So, yes, you've obviously built up a specific way that you want to lead your team. So how do you typically approach coming into a new organization and trying to get buy-in from the team to adopt this new way of working? Because typically that, that can be challenging, right? Yeah. It's interesting. And I, I've been through this a couple of times where I've, I've landed in a new role um, and I've really questioned where I am. You know, it's, I haven't recognized the culture. This isn't the sales organization that I'm used to. I think the first question is just because I'm used to something, just because I expect something, does that mean that's the right way for it to be? Um, so it's about me keeping an open mind. It's me being open to new ideas, me being open to change. Um, and again, remember what I said first, which is it's about the output right? If we are able to deliver great growth, great results, a great culture, um, you know, a buzzing team, then maybe my way isn't the right way. And I shouldn't be dictatorial about that. I think that's really important. Um, so I think open-mindedness is good. And, and of course, breeding the right culture of showing compassion, 
right? I do have a way that I like to sell, I like to manage and how I like to run a sales organization. Um, but if somebody is open to challenging me, I've got to show that there is room to challenge me, right? I'm open to it. I'm very, very much open to it. And I'm always encouraging my managers and my team to really call me out. And, and part of that is around the behaviors that I do. So yes, of course, asking for that and, and insisting on that, but it's still probably not enough. But then there are kind of more discreet things that I can be doing, such as not having my own office or you know coming in at the same time and leaving at the same time showing vulnerability so that you know i'm just part of a team here i have a role to do and together it's our joint responsibility to get this right um that flat structure is really really important for me you know i i think it's really important that as a sales team we, we work together and, and sit all kind of at the same level as it were um but really how i get people bought in together is to focus on that journey again there's that word that vision the mission the journey you know why are we here what are we doing um, and, you know, if I've got the right data set behind me, I'm able to prove or disprove that every month, every week, we're going closer to our journey or moving further away from it. And if I can prove that with data, then people can say, hey, you know, we're working on this mission that we bought into. The data is proving our performance against it. Perhaps we can keep an open mind as well, if Adam can, about changing our way so that we can align around this culture, around the new way that we should be working. So, so, so that's really interesting that you mentioned data there. And I think as I've matured as a salesperson, I've, I've, I've really begun to sort of understand the value of sales ops and but but also understanding the numbers within the business right so what is my what is the com- company's average order value what is my average order value you know what is my target how many deals do i need in my target what is my close rate um and and as i've matured i've started looking at my boss as somebody that that isn't necessarily there to manage me but he's there to help me understand well look these these are my numbers these are my ratios you know if my current average order value let's say hypothetically is a million how do I push that to 1.2? And how can my boss help push me to push my customer to get that to, 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 to 1.2? So um, it, it's really interesting you say that. And I guess my, my, my sort of follow-up to that is, you know, as, as you've matured as a leader, um, you know, what, what is your reliance on data and what, what sort of data points are you using to help your reps be, be more successful? Yeah, uh, spot on. I mean, I, I think I've gone through that same trajectory as you, where at first it was like, well, you know, next call will be better than the last one. So what does historic data tell me? Um, no, I am entirely reliant on data. Well, not entirely. I'm, I'm very highly reliant on data. I'm very highly reliant on on really an incredible commercial operations, sales operations team at Paddle. Um, and one of the things that's blown my mind about Paddle is how data drives every single one of our decisions. Uh, Paddle sells to software companies. We sell a checkout solution, billing uh, stack to software companies. And one of the, the great things that we've done in our in our operations team is to really map out the entire software universe and not just identify every software company, but start segmenting them, start segmenting them by uh, industry, by size, by billing model, by geography, etc. And we, we measure and monitor every single activity, every email, every call, every stage change in the CRM so that we can start determining where do things work well? Where do things not work well? We can get even better and say, where does this rep work well? And where does that rep work well? Let's focus on that territory for that rep because we can see historically they've done really well there and this one there. So we're continuously analyzing things. But this comes back to the culture question as well, right? And it's not just the data, it's the people responsible for the data. And I push and challenge the commercial operations, the sales operations team to say, find out where things aren't working. You know, come to me and show me problems, right? They're not, this isn't a hierarchical organization. You have a responsibility and your job is to find ways to optimize and make more efficient the way we're growing. Um, 
And they do. You know, it's not just waiting for me to say, hey, can I have this report or that dashboard? Um, it's actually empowering them to come and say and come to the sales management meetings and say, hey, this thing is broken. You need to fix it because if we follow this through, it's going to have an impact of X, Y, and Z. Um, so again, really facilitating and fostering that culture of everyone can challenge everything. Nice, nice. And I guess that leads us nicely um, into sort of attracting the right talent, right? Because in one sense, you kind of need to build that culture, but the culture itself is underpinned by the people. So, you know, for you, as you've, as you've matured as a leader, um, you know, what, what, what do you look out for when you're, when you're trying to build a team and, and attract talent? Like what are the raw qualities that are really important? Yeah. And again, may not surprise you to say that you know, the starting point um, for any talent, uh, whenever we're hiring is, is around, can we match them to the values that we have? Um, you know, again, culture first. I'll look at somebody and every CV I will look at for a sales rep role is I hit quarter after quarter, 200% president's club, attained, 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 never missed a quota, which I find it remarkable that every candidate on the job market has never missed a quota, but hey, hey. Um, so that, that's the thing. I look for traits over experience. And, and again, this perhaps is a bit more of a personal point for me um, because I recognize when I first got my first sales job, I didn't have any sales experience. But the people that hired me were the ones who said, hey, we can see from his personality, from his behaviors, from his ability um, that he'll be good at sales or, or we'll take a punt that he's good at sales. Um, so this is something that I've really tried to carry through in my sales careers. Just because somebody's got a really glittering sales career doesn't mean they're going to do well in my business. And I, I've seen that, right? I've seen startups versus large businesses. There's often very different ways and different types of success rates within sales reps to the extent where I've actually got to a point now where I'd, I'd, I'd really hesitate to hire somebody from one of the software giants because I think they'll really struggle in, in a startup environment. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think for me, it's around ownership. And I think this is what I really like to see in, in, in a candidate is somebody who takes ownership and has accountability. So to that point, I said earlier about every sales rep I've interviewed never missed a quota. You know, obviously, that's an exaggeration. But you know, it's those sales reps who come into those interviews and says, I missed Q4. But let me tell you why. Let me tell you what I did to make sure that I'm not going to, that's not going to happen again. So it's showing the human side. Yeah, we all miss quotas. We all lose deals. Everyone happens, right? Sales is a numbers game. I don't know anyone who wins 100% of the sales opportunities they go into. Um, if there are anyone out there, please, we're, we're hiring. Please come and you know, approach me. But um, you know, the, the point is, if I can take accountability for my development, for, for my learnings, for my failures, then that shows me that they've got an open mind to work well in this collaborative environment I'm trying to build. Um, I'm also working in a company where no one's really done what we what we are doing we're not following we've not like built a crm and we're like well let's follow the trajectory of salesforce and if we do what they did then you know the theory goes we'll we'll we'll, we'll follow in their paths what paddle is doing no one's done before um so no one's got the answers right even our ceo who's got the vision and built the business you know, there's a lot of problems and, and challenges we face on a daily basis so i'm looking for smart um confident but also people who take accountability to kind of say, hey, here's a problem. Let's get in a room and let's figure this out. And the people that typically are successful in this process are the ones who say, I'm aware of the challenges we're facing. I don't have the answers, but let me demonstrate, A, my eagerness to try and help solve those and be part of that. Because you know, a lot of people don't like operating in the great. They like clarity. I want to know my comp plan is not going to change. I want to know my territory is not going to change. And if I do this, then, then you know, that will happen. 
Um, but there are other people who say, I like figuring stuff out. I like building. And that's the stage we're in. So showing evidence of that is, is one of the key criteria as well. Have you been able to work out different ways that you can test the qualities that you're looking for in an interview process? Because obviously sales reps are sales reps. So, you know, you ask us a good question and we're going to answer it really well because that's what we're trying to do, right? But how do you test the reality around it? Um, it'd be great to hear if you've got any processes that you've got in place to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of preface this as well, this is always going to be a work in progress. I would always, you know, hiring is a skill. And it's a skill that, um, you know, I think is one of the most important skills as a sales leader. Um, thankfully, again, I'm backed by an incredible talent acquisition team at Paddle. Um, I work very, very well with them. And, you know, we've worked very, very closely now for you know, a year and a half for them to really understand what it is I'm trying to find um, so that we're kind of singing off the same hymn sheet. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a tough one, right? Because, yes, everyone's going to come in and start showing off their credentials and it's an interview right they're they're clearly interested in the role and i'm clearly interested in the candidate that's why we're meeting right we've we've done the pre-screening or whatever processes you've gone through first um and and quite right they you know candidates want to put their best foot forward for me however what i've learned and probably one of my biggest learnings in hiring the right people uh, and from a culture perspective is to not oversell the role in fact i actually you know speak to many candidates who've interviewed with me they'll probably often say that he's refreshingly honest and I downplay the excitement of it because Paddle's great. Uh, you know, Paddle is an exceptional company with great, you know, triple digit growth year on year. And people look from the outside and say, hey, I want to be part of that. You know, we're going to be a unicorn. I want to get rich or, you know, whatever it might be. But what we don't tell people in all of our marketing and, and press releases is how much work there is involved here, how challenging this environment is. Yes, the results are true and accurate, but the work and the kind of effort that goes on behind and the failure that goes in to get those results is often very, um, it's very challenging for people and it's demotivating. And I, I feel it's my duty to make people aware of this before they start at the business to say, I just want to be really, really clear what life is like at Paddle. This is not a nine to five role. This is not a, if you follow this process, then this output will happen type role, right? And we're trying to get there. We're trying to make it more scientific, but that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people who say, I am going to fail. I'm not scared of failing. I'm going to learn. I'm going to share those learnings and I want to be part of finding the solution. And I think people coming in and and having their eyes open to the fact that it's hard work. It's a lot of failure. It's not just come in and you're going to hit 200% of your, of of your quota, you know, quarter after quarter, and you're going to take home, you know, a six or seven digit kind of um, P60. It's, it's, it's really about um, laying the groundwork there. And I find when I do that, people reciprocate and they're honest and upfront with me and they show their vulnerabilities as well, which again, I like, because it's, I don't anticipate anyone coming in to be a robot and and, a hundred percent perfect. They're human. Everyone's got faults. Everyone's got areas that they want to work on and develop. And if they can showcase them to me, it doesn't mean they're going to be disqualified from the process. It means, hey, I now know what I need to work on this person to get them to, that, to get them to that next level, which is hopefully what they want as well. That's brilliant. And I think it's refreshing in, in a world where interview processes is full of office bean bags, office dogs, and, and endless snacks, that the purpose behind getting a new role seems to just be mystified. So um, brilliant. Thank you, Adam. Um, it'd be great to, to finish off with a few kind of quick fire round questions. Yeah, sure. um, and the first one would, for me would be um, for the for the people starting their career in sales. If you could go back in time and be equipped with one piece of advice, what would it be and, and why? So I would say, you know, for me, the, the most important thing for any salesperson is be hungry to learn, be curious. Uh, you know, you might have grown up 
being that kid with your mates, the gift of the gab, the one who could talk their way out of any situation. And that's how people have told you and you've determined you're going to be good at sales, but that's not sales. You know, there are people who've done this before. There are people who've got more experience from you. And most importantly, there are people with different backgrounds and experiences from you. Learn from them. I promise you, your, your way isn't going to be the, the best way. Um, so if you are open to learning, if you're, if you're demanding learning, um, I would say that's going to hold you in really great stead for the future. Brilliant. And, and talking of hunger, um, definite, definitely one role that is, is probably the most hungry is, is the SDR role, right? Um, and, and we all know that every SDR after hitting a number of targets really assumes a kind of successful transition into a sales role. Um, would be really t- interesting to get your perspective. Do you believe that a good SDR means a good sales rep? And how do you typically try and find out how and, and, and if that's the case without costing the business a, a ridiculous amount? <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think, firstly, I do believe that, you know, and again, when I'm interviewing at SDR level, um, you know, I do want to see somebody who knows what sales is, who, who knows what they get, they're getting themselves into and has a desire to follow a career into sales. You know, somebody who comes in for an SDR and says, actually, I want to be an engineer. It doesn't really make sense to me. Um, you know, so there is a relationship, obviously, between SDR and sales rep, AE, whatever it might be. Um, do the skills overlap to a certain extent? Yes, but there are very different skills for an AE than there are for an SDR. One of the things, again, that I'm really proud of that I've done at Paddle, um, because no, no one wants to be an SDR forever, right? Or if they are, again, please let yourselves be known to me because I've never met anyone who says, yeah, I just want to be an SDR. Typically, if you've got that kind of drive to be in sales, you want to become a fully-fledged sales rep, or perhaps you want to go into management, and, and you know that's an alternative route as well. Um, but, you know, and that's fine. And that's, that's first, it's on me to, to show that part out of being an SDR. What do I need to do to prove to you, Adam, that I'm ready to step up into the AE role? So I, it's on me to create that environment that it's absolutely clear what needs to be done. And yes, attainment of sales quotas is, is clearly going to be part of one of those and, and working to targets. But one of my, my most proudest achievements at Paddle, and again, I can't take full responsibility for this, but it was around defining with the sales managers what is a good SDR? What are the characteristics that make a good SDR? What are the characteristics that make a good AE? And what we then did is we expanded that. We then said, okay, can we put every single characteristic, I think we found seven characteristics for each role, and we, we skilled them levels one to four, one being the best, four being the worst. And we, and we, we explained what level one at this skill meant, what level four meant. Um, and it was very much we, we, off the back of that, we then built these career development plans. And we assessed every single person, every single SDR, every single AE against these seven characteristics and said, okay, today you're a four at that, you're a two at that, you're a one at that. And of course, with evidence, right? We had to pull in kind of, we used Gong for our call recording analytics, Gong excerpts and outreach snippets and, you know, different examples to show evidence. It's not just gut feel, it's really to make this as, as objective as possible. But that led to people saying, okay, I'm an SDR. I know I'm really good at this, but I'm very bad at, I don't know, account planning, for example. One of those skills that you need to be a level two at in order to think of being an AE. Because that was the next level to say promotion happens when you hit these scores in the progression plans. So it's clear for everyone. It's clear for the SDR to say where they're strong and where they're weaker. And these plans are built with them. They're not given to them. Um, we discuss those scorings and we come out of the room agreeing. But it's also even more importantly clear to them what they need to work on, what skills they need to work on in order to get to that AE level. It's then on managers to help facilitate that training and development, right? So if it's around um, account planning, just one of the things that I always push and query my managers on 
um, be that on a fortnightly or monthly basis when we look at the progression plans, when we look at the future of the sales team and who's coming up for promotion is what have we done to really work on that skill deficiency that we identified for that SDR? You know, where show me evidence of how you've helped them account plan. Now, this could be um, through one-to-one, so they've worked on it. The manager, a paddle, we have a really generous learning and development budget per person as well. So they might have identified some courses for that person to attend or an external trainer as well. Um, or, or a book. So I think this is stuff that I'm always looking for evidence of is how are you working on the skills that we've identified as missing in order for that progression? So again, everyone knows where they stand. There's transparency, there's buy-in, and there's absolutely a determination and a, and a vision of how I get to that next level. That's great. Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Um, for, for anyone that, that is keen to reach out, is that okay? And, and where can they find you? Yeah, please do. You can find me on LinkedIn um, or you can email me. It's adam at paddle.com or I'm on Twitter at adk1. That's amazing. Adam, thank you again. No, thanks, guys. Really enjoyed it. Take yeah. care.